What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. Amron, we're locked in. We got the NFL draft happening in just about a week. We have rookie drafts coming up. And that means I want to give you guys some good analysis when it comes to rookie drafts. Now, tomorrow we're going to do a video where I sort of go through how I see rookie drafts right now, where the tier breaks are, where I'm trying to move up, what I'm looking to get in return if I'm moving back. And that means we're going to be dealing with 2024 firsts. And before we talk about trading back and the 2023 draft class, I kind of want to cover the 2024 draft class so we sort of know what class we're trading into, right? If we trade back from the 101 and grab a pick in the middle of the first round and net a 24 first, what do we think about that 24 first? So today, we are going to go through the entire class, the highs, the lows, and pretty much just sort of see what we're getting ourselves into when we're trading for those 2024 first. So without further ado, if you enjoy the video, make sure you down below, subscribe, leave a like, let's go. I got the juice, I got the juice. Channel, now, just a disclaimer for you Devi sickos. If you're out there, you play in Devi, this video you're going to like because I'm going to talk about 2024 rookies. But if you're even more of a sicko than that, check out patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. I know a lot of you guys are on there using my rankings. But if you go to the gold tier or higher, you can actually get my 2024 and 2025 RS grades. I run through uh, the two years of data, the one year of data we have on the 2025 class, and I already have RS grades posted on the Patreon, on the Discord of those classes. So if you have a Debbie draft coming up, I'm actually about to be in one myself. Make sure to check those out. Now, when we talk about the class today, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer before we talk about the quarterbacks here. I ran all these guys through the RS grades. We're going to bring up the RS grades, but it's also important to note we are projecting athleticism. We are projecting draft capital. We have seen traps in the past where a guy is, you know, heralded as like this absolute stud and then they get hurt or they uh, not transfer, but they disappoint. Things happen. We're just getting a macro granular view of this class. Everything that I say today is not set in stone. We still have another year of data that we're waiting on. Now, when we talk about the quarterbacks, we're going to go through each position and kind of pilot the studs up top. And then I'm going to give you guys a, a list of names to kind of look out for after those studs. And when we talk about the crown jewel of this class, we have the king that sits above the rest, Caleb Williams. Five-star recruit. The hype is very much warranted. He is the consensus 101 in this class. And He's delivered every step of the way. He comes to Oklahoma. He has Spencer Rattler, who was a five-star recruit himself, the number one quarterback in the 2019 recruiting class. He's like kind of like the almost like the golden boy for Oklahoma. A few games into Spencer Rattler's second season, Caleb Williams comes in, looks amazing out the gate, has an amazing freshman season. He transfers over to Oklahoma, uh, or he transfers over to USC with Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley brings him with him, and he has a Heisman season. So this is a guy who has started meaningful games in year one and year two. He has dominated. He has 63 passing touchdowns, just nine interceptions. He has over 800 rushing yards, which, by the way, in college, they take away the sack yardage. So probably more like 1,500 rushing yards, 16 touchdowns on the ground. He is just an absolute machine. Now, one of the things that I like to look at with quarterbacks is EPA per play. EPA per play is expected points added. What are you giving over expectation to your offense on a per play basis? I have data of every quarterback since 2007 that has been drafted, their EPA 
per play in college. This is just their career EPA. Now, it's not a bulletproof list, right? Kyler's up there. Cam Newton's up there. Mac Jones and Tua. I think Mac Jones and Tua being up there is a good thing. They were amazing passers. They were just limited as rushers. Same thing with a guy like, uh, I guess, kind of the opposite with Manziel, where a lot of that probably came on the ground. But, of course, there's more that goes into it than EPA per play. But it's a good thing to look at in terms of just, you know, providing efficiency to your offense, providing over-expectation to your offense. Caleb Williams, just through two years, has the fifth highest EPA per play in my database for his career, behind just Kyler Murray, Mac Jones, Tua, and Cam Newton. And we also have... The second quarterback we're going to talk about in this draft class, Drake May, down there as well. Drake May, if it wasn't for Caleb Williams just kind of being this like generational quarterback prospect, by the way, Caleb Williams is kind of seen in that light of a Joe Burrow, a Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck. He, at this point right now, is seen as a generational quarterback prospect. But Drake May is a very good quarterback in his own right. He's only three spots behind Caleb Williams. You have Stroud, Manziel, Marcus Mariota. The the important thing to note here is every guy on here, as much as this is a predictor of NFL success, it's also a predictor of NFL draft capital. Every quarterback on here that is a leader in EPA per play was taken in the first round of the NFL draft outside of Brandon Dowdy, who I don't really know who that is, 2016 seventh rounder. Uh, but the rest of them, all of these guys got draft capital. C.J. Strouds is projected. Caleb Williams and Drake Mays are projected. But the rest of them, like Mac Jones, top 15 pick, Tua, fifth overall. You have Kyler first, Newton first. Even Manziel was a first-round pick. Marcus Mariota, second overall. So what this tells us is that these guys are playing really well. They're going to get drafted high. Drake May, as of right now, has just one year as a starter. In that year, his .165 career EPA per play is right on par with guys like Burrow, Andrew Luck, Justin Fields, Marcus Mariota. These are both guys who are studs, look really good, and are out here absolutely dominating so early in their quarterback careers. Now, again, do not sleep on Drake May. He led the entire FBS with 45 big-time throws. That was 10 more than the next highest guy, and it wasn't just a volume thing either. His big-time throw percentage at 8.4% was a whole 2.4% better than Caleb Williams. It was a whole 1.4% better than C.J. Stroud, who is seen as like the cleanest passer in this draft class for 2023. And on top of that, it's not even like he's turning the ball over at a high rate. 16 turnover-worthy plays is a lower turnover-worthy play percentage than C.J. Stroud. So these are two really, really exciting quarterback prospects that can throw look good throwing, but the thing that unlocks them, that kind of puts them in a spot higher than like you're young and you're Stroud, is they run. Now, they're not Anthony Richardson, they're not Lamar Jackson, they're not going to rush for a thousand yards, most likely not at least. But they are both very much looking to run and they are both very much scrambling quarterbacks. I looked through PFF, something that I want to I, I mess around with next offseason, PFF actually has rushing stats for college quarterbacks without taking away sacks, which is really nice. So we can divide the two. I don't know why college football reference or college football stats in general, why they factor in stats to rushing, but I just want to know the rushing stats. So what I did is I took all of the quarterbacks from 2022, that college season. I picked out quarterbacks that I recognize the name of uh, in 2023 and 2024. I make sure the big names were on there and I charted their rushing points per game. So from a fantasy perspective, you know, you take their yards, their touchdowns, subtract their fumbles. How many points per game on the ground are they giving you? Now, this isn't really to predict future success, but just to predict how much are these guys rushing on the ground? What can we expect to carry over to the NFL? And when we look at this, this is why we're excited. I have in bold, I have 
your 2023 guys, so that's going to be Richardson, Hooker, Young, Levis, and Stroud. And then I highlighted Drake May, and I highlighted Caleb Williams. And when you look at this, man, they're not Anthony Richardson level, but they are much better than your Bryce Youngs and your Will Levis and your Strouds at rushing in terms of rushing fantasy points per game. Drake May, 8.292 rushing fantasy points per game. Caleb Williams, 8.31. They're even both beating out Hendon Hooker, who's seen as a Konami Code type QB. He qualifies for Konami Code in the RS grades. So that is really interesting. Caleb Williams, a little bit more shifty. I included their missed tackles force per attempt. It's probably nothing too crazy, but you see Anthony Richardson above 10%. Jaden Daniels, great rusher himself, above 10%. Caleb Williams being uh, above 9% is very interesting. So we have two guys here. Polished passers. They rush the football. And as of right now, from where we're sitting again, a lot can change. They are both in the RS grades as elite Konami code QBs. This is an archetype of quarterback that we want to be using our 101s in rookie drafts on. We can bank on at least one elite Konami code QB in this class between two of Caleb Williams and Drake May. And these are your all-time elite Konami code QBs since 2007. It is a 90% top 12 hit rate. Trey Lance and Marcus Mariota is like your worst case scenario. And even then, Trey Lance held, you know, one-two turn startup value through his first two years. He's still like a third rounder now. He's starting to tail off, but these assets have a lot of insulation and a crazy amount of upside. You see Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar, Deshaun Watson. It is a class of QB and just a class of dynasty asset that we want. Now, before I go any further, we're going to be mentioning a lot of RS grade stuff in this video. And I just want to make sure, you know, that we're all on the same page here. So this is what the RS grades are. Now, this is just for quarterbacks. I have this chart for every single position, but it basically what you need to know is that I have legendary, elite, gold, silver, bronze, and in each tier, you have a better hit rate and you have a better points per game through your first three seasons. Legendary at quarterback is your like Trevor Lawrence's, Joe Burrow. I think the official list right now uh, is Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence, Cam Newton, Joe Burrow, and Andrew Luck. Those are your five legendary quarterback prospects. And a little bit of a spoiler, as of today, Caleb Williams is legendary. I don't want to hype it up too much. That's why I said we'll have like maybe two Konami Code elites because to get to legendary, he needs everything to go right for him from now through the NFL draft in 2024. He also has to get drafted first overall, which right now, you know, is he's the favorite to do so. But I'm not going to say he's for sure going to be legendary. He is a very, very high-end elite Konami Code QB. So that's why all of that is very fun because we have two in this class. That's very rare. That's like Justin Fields and Trey Lance, but one of them going like first overall as like a generational type guy. So very, very, very nice. Now, then we have the rest, which I just have like the rest for the rest of what these quarterbacks are. The rest of this quarterback class is kind of a mess, but I, I, I wouldn't like I would bet. I think I would bet the over on two and a half quarterbacks drafted in the first round next year. That's probably not really a wild thing to say, but we always see guys sneak up like Hendon Hooker was a guy who snuck into this draft. Uh, Anthony Richardson was a little bit a guy who snuck into this one. We've seen in the past, like Burrow and Baker Mayfield. There's uh, Zach Wilson. There's always guys who are, are late risers in the process. These are the names I would look at in terms of those. Now, I included Caleb Williams and Drake Mann here just so you can see how they sort of stack up in QBR. This is ESPN's QBR. It's a input of my model. It's pretty, pretty solid. As you guys can see, Caleb Williams, insane year one, insane year two. Drake Mays up there in year two. The rest of these guys have kind of had like rocky roads. Jaden Daniels actually interesting, like really high year two. 
came back down to earth in year three and year four, though. You have like Jordan Travis in there. Jordan Travis is a guy who is kind of like a mobile quarterback for Florida State. He's sort of fun. Bo Nix was like this five-star recruit, super, super highly touted coming out of high school. Sucked early on, like really, really bad early on uh, at Auburn. Transfers to Oregon last year was pretty solid. He rushes on the ground. Actually, let's pull this up side by side real quick uh, so we can kind of see. Now, this isn't all of the quarterbacks listed on there, but you can see Jaden Daniels, uh, a guy who had a really good year two QBR, has 16% missed tackles forced, 12 points per game on the ground, so that's really fun. Bo Nix had more fantasy points per game on the ground than Anthony Richardson, but you can see by the missed tackles forced, he's not the same type of athlete, of course. Uh, KJ Jefferson's interesting, too. I don't know that he'll rise into the first round, but these are guys I would I would keep your eye on. And a second class of guys that I would also put in here is your like post-hype sleepers, where we have Spencer Rattler and Quint Ewers, guys who are both the first quarterback in their class, in their respective recruiting classes, but have sort of had a rough start to their careers, especially like Spencer Rattler's had a really rough start. He had like one shaky year at Oklahoma, like one or two shaky years at Oklahoma. Caleb Williams unseats him. He then transfers to South Car uh, South Carolina. I was about to say South California. South Carolina, he looked good last year. Like he looked decent. He looked good. He looked okay. Uh, he did beat Tennessee. He had some big games. He had some like not so great games, but he's somebody, I think especially both of these guys, Quinn Ewers and Spencer Rattler, when you have that five-star recruiting ranking, Scouts like almost nearly never forget that. I'm trying to think of uh, who the kid was out of uh, UCLA. Jalen Phillips, the uh, edge rusher. He had like a shaky star injury history, and then he had like one good year at Miami, uh, I think, and then he got drafted high. So these guys, scouts are looking for reasons to push them up. I think Quinn Ewers is one where he doesn't have to do as much as Spencer Rattler. He's just in his third year where Rattler's like a fifth-year senior at this point. Ewers came in, he like reclassified uh, so he could play last year, I believe, or play two years ago. Ohio State, he didn't get any minutes, so he goes over to Texas. Then last year, he looked good. Like, he comes out the gate against Alabama. Watch that. If you're out there and you're a tape grinder, I, I don't know if you're watching this video and you're a tape grinder, but Quinn Ewers, like, until he gets hurt versus Alabama last year, was dicing that defense up. He looked amazing. Uh, and then he, like, got hurt and had, like, a shaky year two. So now we have a guy here. You look at his recruiting ranking, number one in the entire class, 100, 247 sports rating. Like that is a Trevor Lawrence level recruit. So all scouts are really looking for just have one solid year. He has the weapons. He has uh, Xavier Worthy, who we'll get into in a little bit here on the outside. Uh, Steve Starkeesian, I believe, is still calling that offense. Prosper Scouts want to buy into Quint Ewers. I think all it would take is a fine season, and he would probably be a late first round of the NFL draft at worst. Somebody that I could see easily rising into the top five conversation in Quinn Ewers. He's a little bit more like statue Quinn Ewers, but apparently he has all the arm talent in the world. The guys loved him. Again, he recruit or he classified early. Like I think he graduated a year early or something. So he is somebody to look at. Again, two post-type sleepers I think could work their way into the first round next year uh, of the NFL draft. Now, after the quarterbacks, we have our wide receivers here. And... I do want to touch on for a second, when we talk about these classes, so much is fragile, right? We have a lot of things that happen. Like last year, when we talked about this draft class, we were talking about, I'm trying to think, of course, JSN was up there, but we had, you know, like we, we were putting like in the same breath as Gibbs, like Zach Evans and Tank Bigsby, uh, but things don't really pan out sometimes, right? Sometimes players get hurt. Sometimes players disappoint. But what we do have is I think we have very strong pillars of draft class, right? Like last year, the pillars of that draft class, guys who were pretty much no doubters a year out, 
Stroud Young, Jackson Smith Najigba, Michael Mayer, Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson is like the top, top crown jewel pillar. And then you had like four other pieces that you knew were going to hold value. They really couldn't screw up what they had in front of them. And we talk about this 2024 class. We have, of course, the crown jewel up top. We have Caleb Williams. Then you have another pillar, which I would call another strong pillar is Drake May, elite Konami code QB as of right now. And our third pillar here, grounding the top end of the 2024 draft class is Marvin Harrison Jr. And he is just an absolute blast to talk about. Of course, son of Marvin Harrison, uh, Hall of Fame wide receiver with the Colts and Peyton Manning. He comes out here, four-star recruit. And I remember him. He, he like It's almost like every one of these Ohio State wide receivers, they just get a boatload of four-star, five-star guys. Most of them don't do much in year one, and then they just emerge in year two. Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't look that good in year one. I think that he looked pretty good in the Rose Bowl game where Wilson and Olave were out. But then he comes in this year, and he just absolutely blows everybody away while JSN is hurt. Now, when we compare him to these other Ohio State wide receivers, I think it's a good exercise to do because, again, None of them produce in year one, right? Garrett Wilson, all of these guys didn't produce in year one. I did add Jamar Chase because Jamar Chase had a similar, didn't do good in year one, came out in year two, went toe-to-toe with Justin Jefferson and produced. And when we look at Marvin Harrison Jr. on that same track, right? Not much in year one. Again, that's the year where JSN has 1,600 yards. Garrett Wilson and Olave get drafted. So he's wide receiver four. And then he comes out year three or year two and looks amazing. He goes toe-to-toe with those JSN seasons, with those Garrett Wilson seasons. Now, this is receiving yards per team pass attempt over, you know, your year in college, right? So year one, freshman, year two, year three, year four. Receiving yards per team pass attempt is just your receiving yards divided by team pass attempt. It's just a way, how much are you making up the passing game? But it also has efficiency in play. So it's like receiving yard market share, but there's also efficiency. You know, what are you doing with your touches? It's a good indicator as far as I can tell. So Marvin Harrison, he goes toe-to-toe with those guys, and that's really all he needs. He goes toe-to-toe with those guys in year two. He goes first round the NFL draft. That's pretty much JSN's profile. Boom. Elite first round wide receiver. Now, spoiler alert, as of right now, in the spreadsheets, Marvin Harrison Jr. is legendary. And here's why. Here's why. The media and scouts absolutely love him because of his last name, but also because he's just a flashy wide receiver. This is a quote from Jordan Reed. He's uh, one of ESPN's... uh, draft analysts and this was a quote from Ohio State's Pro Day he said it was like or no this is a text from an NFL scout at Ohio State's Pro Day so they're there watching JSN they're there watching Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. is out there I believe just like catching passes and doing his thing and the scout said like window shopping at a Lamborghini dealership for the model that doesn't come out until next year. Like, there's quotes out there. You can search through them all. There's quotes out there saying, like, Marvin Harrison Jr. would be, like, a uh, top five pick in this draft class. He'd be the number one wide receiver in this draft class. You look at any big board out there, he is ahead of Drake May, second overall in this class. Any 2024 mock has him, like, top five. Now, of course, we take all those things with a little bit of a grain of salt. But it's very clear. Scouts already love him. He has that NFL pedigree with his last name. There's a very good chance that this is a guy who could go top five, top 10 in the NFL draft. And that also means that he'll get elite film grades in, by way of Lance Zierlein. I think that he's somebody that could, you know, have one of those like seven plus generational type grades from Lance. If it's true that scouts are really marveling at his film and everything that you're looking at. And then on top of that, so he gets 
draft capital boost, right? He would get a top 10 multiplier. He would get a Lanzier line grade multiplier. And then we have his athletic comps. Now, I haven't given him a good RAS or anything, but it wouldn't shock me if he tested well either. He's in a era right now where we have small wide receivers. He's listed at 6'4", 205. Now, I think, I think they're fluffing it a little bit. I would say it's probably he's probably more 6'2", 6'3", like 200, 205 pounds. Uh, we'll see what he actually measures in at. But that's a big wide receiver, right? Like that's almost in that like Quentin Johnston area of like prototypical outside wide receiver. And he has that, but he has much more production, better routes than Quentin Johnston, better at the catch point than Quentin Johnston. And these are his athletic comps uh, on campus to can. They take into account like his athletic testing in high school and some other stuff. And they spit out comps for him. He looks like a Michael Thomas, like a Quentin Johnston, just in terms of body type, which is really exciting for a league that has felt a little bit devoid of a prototypical X wide receiver in these last, like pretty much since Jamar Chase, I would feel like, in terms of like a high-end perimeter wide receiver. So he could be talked up like that, and that's why I think legendary is what he's on track for. But again, that, that won't be official until 2024 draft. So for now, treat him high, high, high-end goal, uh, elite. But I don't think people are really that crazy for saying that they would prefer Marvin Harrison Jr. to any wide receiver in the 2022 draft class. I thought that people were sort of uh, speaking out of turn there uh, early on, and then I inputted everything into the RS grades, and I was like, well... I could see why people think that. So Marvin Harrison Jr., very, very exciting. One of the pillars of this draft class. Now, after a legendary wide receiver prospect up top, I think we have two guys, I think are in a clear tier by themselves that could get to elite in the RS grades with first round draft capital. Now, again, we really want to gun for because we're so far out, right? Like golds and silvers are so like scattered and everything. We just want those high-end pieces. We want the elites and the legendaries. And that's really, at the end of the day, what classes are made of. When we talk about like class strength, trading into a future class, who are your cornerstone pieces, right? Who are your elite and your generational prospects in that class? And I think we have two guys at wide receiver that are on track to be elite at this point. Or not on track. I think one is very much on track. I think the other has an outside shot at getting there. And they're two very different guys. We have... Emeka Egbuka is his name, and Xavier Worthy. Now, these are two guys with much different stories. I charted them again, receiving yards per team pass attempt. I have them next to uh, the 2022 first rounder. So you have Jackson Smith and Jigba in there. You have Quentin Johnson. You have Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison. And then you also have Marvin Harrison Jr. And then you have Xavier Worthy and Emeka Egbuka, the two guys we're going to talk about here. Now, Emeka Egbuka is the first wide receiver we'll talk about. He is super clean. Very classic Ohio State wide receiver, down year one, but again, all of these Ohio State guys have a down year one, and then he had a strong year two. His year two is actually very good. Now, of course, it's less than Marvin Harrison and JSN and all the Ohio State guys, but it's like, it's not that much further down, you know? I'm getting a closer look myself. It's like, it's not that far down. So... What Emeka Egbuka kind of reminds me of, and it's not in the same way where Emeka Egbuka right now is on pace to be an early declare, all of that. But in terms of just being kind of like the 1B at Ohio State, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Egbuka are kind of, kind of remind me of like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Like Emeka Egbuka, I think, is going to be a little bit overshadowed by Marvin Harrison Jr., but he had a very, very strong season himself. He looks like a clean prospect. I think he was the number one uh, rated recruit in his wide receiver class. 6'1", 205, has good size, and he just seems to me, Again, that year two is very strong. He just seems to me like a guy who's going to test well, right? A lot of five-star recruits do. And somebody that 
the NFL team is just going to see, you know, Ohio State has been a wide receiver factory. Let's just draft the next one. I think it's a very easy fit for him. Again, I think he's going to go a little bit, not under the radar, but he'll be overshadowed by Harrison Jr. But I think that he's somebody that will also go in the first round. Now, I think somebody that's a little bit more shaky and a little bit trickier is Xavier Worthy. But he is so tough to wrap my head around because when we look here, look at his year one, Xavier Worthy almost hitting three receiving yards per team pass attempt, which is like almost on par. Like that's more than Emeka Egbuka had this year. That's like almost on par with what the Ohio State kids did in year two. So it's so tricky. His year one receiving yards per team pass attempt, Xavier Worthy, just under three, is a better receiving yards per team pass attempt mark than Emeka Egbuka, Quentin Johnson, and Zay Flowers have had over their entire careers in college. And that's impressive, right? That is a true freshman coming into Texas, which, you know, has talent, right? Bijan, there's some wide receivers I can't name for you. I'm trying to think, uh, but I can't think of their names. But there's there's guys, there's guys, it's Texas. They're bringing in recruits. There's guys in, in that uh, wide receiver room. He came out here, did that in year one. The issue is that that year one came crashing down to being the only wide receiver under that dotted line of average top 24 seasons in year two. I can't tell you what happened year, year, year two. I don't think he was hurt. If any of you Debbie Sickos out there know better than me, let me know if he was hurt. I don't think he was. I think that he just disappointed. I know Texas had a couple of different quarterbacks here, so maybe that was it. Uh, so it gets tough here, right, where he has this insane year one, down year two, you need a big rebound season, which is definitely possible, right? Texas offense, we talked about Quinn Ewers. He's going to have the quarterback play. He's going to have the system in place. Bijan now gone. Maybe he becomes a little bit more of the focal point of the offense. There's a lot to like here. Now, the other issue is that he's severely undersized. He is 6'1", 164 pounds, kind of looks like Devonta Smith. Now, the NFL hasn't cared about size recently, but it is a flag on his profile. So you have a generational year one, a really bad year two, undersized, Maybe he comes out in year three, redeems himself, and a team likes him, you know, in like the mid-first. Uh, but we'll see. Again, somebody to keep your eye on, Xavier Worthy out of Texas. Now, after that, we have the rest of the wide receivers. And these are guys are probably in the mix for like gold. Maybe one of them ends up as an elite. We just have a big group of guys that kind of emerged in year two, uh, but still have plenty of obstacles. We have, now these names are tough. We have Orande Gadsden II. Apparently, his dad played football before my time, if any of you old Ted's want to, uh, you know, school me up on Aronde Gadsden and what he used to do, please let me know. You have Troy Franklin, Dorian Singer, and Malik Neighbors. Again, these guys are kind of obscure names. You're really just hoping for draft capital. I would say the one that really sticks out to me is Aronde Gadsden II. He is right there in year two, right on par with Egbuka, uh, below Marvin Harrison Jr., but sort of like a tier above the rest, right? His year two is really, really strong. But this is at Syracuse. He's a Syracuse wide receiver, not the same level of comp. And he's also a really weird profile. So he does that in year two, which is really impressive. But he's 6'5, 216 pounds, and has a career 71.4% slot usage. So he's like this big slot. Maybe they want, I've heard whispers that they want to move him to tight end. Like maybe he could be like a Darren Waller type tight end. So it's a little bit tough, or maybe the transition isn't as, as clean as some, some other pieces or prospects that we'll talk about but he's really intriguing to me right that year two is really impressive huge huge size maybe he doesn't play inside and play tight end maybe he they just let him play perimeter wide receiver at six five and let him dominate which would be pretty cool in its in its own right he seems like a pretty good athlete as well uh so we'll see sort of how that that breaks again Syracuse so maybe he won't get drafted high we'll see then you have Troy Franklin and Malik Neighbors Troy Franklin at Oregon Malik Neighbors at LSU 
these are kind of both guys, four stars coming out of high school. They play at big schools. They're both in like that, like about six foot, you know, 185 to 195 range, like maybe 180 for Troy Franklin. You need big year threes, right? You're looking at year two here. Like they're both right on the line, but you're going to need more than that for them to like challenge for elite or anything. But they're two guys. They have recruiting pedigree. They go to big schools. Maybe one of them pops. And the last guy we'll talk about is Dorian Singer. He had a break breakout year two at Arizona. 65 catches, 1,100 yards, six touchdowns. The big thing to note is that he now transfers to USC. So Jordan Addison's gone. He transfers to USC. And maybe in the bright lights, USC with Caleb Williams, he can kind of elevate him. Now, they do have Mario Williams there, who I believe was at Oklahoma and then followed Caleb Williams to USC. He had a down year. He's somebody to also keep a, an eye on. And one last thing I'll say to keep an eye on, smaller guy, he's like 5'10", Dominic Levitt, or Dominic Lovett. He popped in Missouri last year, transferred to Georgia. So you have a guy, transfers to Georgia, eyes will be on him. Like it could be, uh, I know Georgia just did a, a similar thing with, I want to say Jermaine Burton. They brought in Jermaine Burton. He didn't look good at all. Uh, but kind of a similar thing to Jamison Williams where you go, or not, J Jamison Williams is a tough one because it's not like Jamison Williams popped at a small school and then went to a big school. He just couldn't get on the field at a big school and went to a big school. But, you know, that's same sort of thing. Come in for your final year at one of these, like, big, massive schools and dominates. So maybe Dominic Lovett can have that same type of arc where, you know, he pops at Missouri, which isn't a big school at all, goes to a Georgia, dominates, and then gets drafted highly. So those are your wide receivers there. You have, I think, really strong guys at the top, but I think after that it gets a little bit weak. Then we have running back, which is a little bit weaker. This isn't... There's no pillars here. There's no pillars for this running back class. There is no Bijan. There is no Saquon. But I think there's about six guys, I would say, that I think could be in that, like, Brees Hall, which is, like, high-end elite, right? Not legendary, but high-end elite through, you know, Jameer Gibbs, Kenneth Walker, your high-end, like, gold area. You know, and those are important for fantasy because they get drafted and they get vaulted up to top five running back rankings just because... You know, you get first or second round draft capital at running back. You do anything your rookie year, you're going to get value. So these are pieces to sort of know about. Now, it's tough to kind of run through six different running backs like this, but let's talk about them. Now, this is kind of how I'm going to chart these running backs for you guys to see here over this next, I don't know, 15 minutes. I talk about the running backs. First, we have this chart, experience adjusted yards per team play. Adjusted yards per team play is one of the biggest inputs I have in my model, and it's essentially your yards per team play. So how much are you contributing to your offense on a per play basis? And then it also double counts receiving yards. So a little bit of a lean towards receiving. It's one of the bigger or one of the bigger inputs I have. I have all six of the running backs we're going to run through here. And then I have Gibbs and Bijan Robinson, just so you guys can see, you know, two running backs that are on everybody's mind right now. How do they compare to Bijan to Gibbs? Then we also have on the right-hand side, we have each running back, we have their school, we have their BMI, their height and their weight, because we want to get a feel for the entire profile, right? We want the production, yards per team play, we want the size, height, weight, BMI, and then receiving PPR per game. What the hell is that? Well, that's a stat that I've been messing around with this offseason. It's something that I added to the running back prospect model, and I actually really like it. It is your points per game only from the receiving game in college. So your receptions, your receiving yards, receiving touchdowns. What are you bringing fantasy-wise, production-wise in the receiving game? So when we take all that together, we then have a running back's production, receiving upside, and their size, which is kind of all we really need to know this far out. And our first running back we'll talk about is at the top of this running back list, Raheem 
Sanders, a.k.a. Rocket Sanders, Florida boy, a guy that I drafted on my first original Devi team, Campus to Canton team with Nelly. Shout out Nelly for putting me on to Rocket Sanders. He is really fun because you see his build. In this modern era, right, where we're seeing like Jameer Gibbs, a hair under 200 pounds, you got Deuce Vaughn, Keaton Mitchell, uh, you got Tajay Spears. We got Rocket Sanders coming down the pipeline, 6'2", 237 pounds, didn't even play running back in high school. He's listed as like an athlete. I think he took carries, but I was reading through his 247, and it sounded like he played wide receiver in high school at 6'2", 237. So this is a guy who is just like this like massive mountain of a man super athletic and he already has a really natural receiving game so that's why we look here his receiving ppr points per game wasn't great in year one but in year two right so that's one two three so year one year two year three and then just your average over your entire career he really popped this year with 5.5 receiving points per game which was the highest in this class so we have the guy who is leading this class in ppr points in the receiving game is also 237 pounds if you want to put rocket sanders as a pillar you definitely can the rs grades aren't crazy about him like i think he's a low-end elite right now because his adjusted yards for team play isn't anything crazy year one wasn't great he was below the dotted line year two nothing too crazy right he's still behind Bijan. i believe he's still behind gibbs as well you would want a really strong year three but also we don't have athleticism or anything and i don't want to i, I try to be conservative here i don't want to pump up a class for no reason but there's a lot to like Raheem Sanders, Rocket Sanders, whatever you want to call him. He's really fun. Now, after that, we have Trevion Henderson, which I would put these these guys up in tier one of running backs. Like 1A would be Rocket Sanders. 1B would be Trevion Henderson. Now, if you asked me a year ago, I would call Trevion Henderson a pillar of this class. He was somebody who was well on his way to being a Bijan Robinson type like hype train, right? This is a five-star, I believe RB1 in his recruiting class, comes out in year one, at Ohio State, look at year one, adjusted yards per team play, higher than what Bijan did in year one. And in year one, we look at his receiving PPR points per game, 6.3, the highest in the class, the highest single season PPR points per game in the receiving game, right? Higher than Raheem Sanders 5.5 from last year. Really, really impressive. Really impressive. 5'10", 215 pounds, got it all. Produced early at Ohio State, catches passes. NFL size. Then year two comes around. And he has injuries. He's playing through a fracture and a torn ligament in his foot, he was saying, which means when he played, he was ineffective. And then down the stretch, he was eventually shut down. So you can kind of throw away year two, but it does put, you know, a dark spot on his resume where he is last among these guys year two adjusted yards per team play. He is last among these guys in receiving PPR points per game in year two. And, you know, we hope that they give him that benefit of the doubt from year three but ohio state's always bringing in new recruits they're always finding new guys that can pick up the slack running the ball so we hope that trevion henderson goes in there and does great and becomes you know their next like zeke elliott jk dobbins but i hate to even utter these words out loud but like, there's a world where he's like you know your master teagues or you're like trey sermons and he doesn't really pan out we'll see we'll see i think that i, I would bet on him actually panning out again good sizes 5 10 215 pounds can catch passes Ohio State pedigree, just a matter of him rebounding after a bad year or two. Then we have a tear break to the rest of this class. By the way, I actually have them sorted by RS grade. Then we have a tear break for the rest of this class. And let's talk about Donovan Edwards, who is actually really interesting to me. He leads this class in average receiving points per game 
over his first two years, despite sharing a backfield with Blake Corum. Blake Corum also goes to Michigan. We'll probably talk about both of these guys together. Uh, the issue with Donovan Edwards, he is the lowest BMI on the list. He's a little bit thin at 6'2", or six foot, 202 pounds. So he's a little bit thin, right? Like, that's only three pounds heavier than Jameer Gibbs, but he's like three inches taller, so he's kind of... He's kind of frail, but I also do want to say disclaimer with these heights and weights teams sometimes fib, but usually they fib in favor of the running back. Like usually they sort of like bump it up like five pounds. So he could be even thinner than that. We'll see. Maybe he puts on some weight, but this was a guy who coming in as a recruit fourth best running back in his class. And the rushing is there too with Donovan Edwards, which is really interesting. Again, we like him for the receiving, right? The receiving points per game 4.8 in year one is amazing. 4.6 in year two. Also really really good all right i can't really remember where i left off my allergies are killing me man like if you see me like wiping my nose or coughing or whatever that's the reason why i had to get a drink of water but i think we were talking about donovan edwards and his rushing blake corum year older than him at michigan gets hurt and it kind of allows donovan edwards to be the bell cow in this offense and for a guy who was kind of the receiving back in this running back tandem he rattles off 22 for 216 yards and two touchdowns versus Ohio State, 25 for 185 and a touchdown versus Purdue, and 23 for 119 versus TCU. He was Michigan's entire offense down the stretch of last year. He can do it all. Now, the adjusted yards per team attempt stuff isn't going to be great because he's sharing a backfield, right? So it's kind of like, now I think this is a bad comp, but it's similar to Javante Williams and Michael Carter, where neither of them are going to really pop because they're kind of like pushing and pulling. Like, that's what you're going to get in most tandem backfields where it's this close of a split. Uh, but Donovan Edwards showed us that he could do it. Now, I do want to talk about... <coughs> I do want to talk about Blake Corum. He's the other Michigan running back. Uh, he's a senior. He's the only senior on this list. He probably would have gone like late day two in 2023, but he comes back unfinished business at Michigan or whatever. And he's kind of a thick boy. Like he's kind of like Ray Rice, like 5'8", 200 pounds. He led the NCAA in PFF rush grade on PFF, if that's something you care about. Uh, I'm not as interested in him because as you can see, the receiving points per game isn't great. Like two, I mean, 3.8 in year two is not bad. 2.2 last year, not great. Now again, Donovan Edwards definitely eating into that. But the receiving upside doesn't seem to be anything too crazy. You look at yards per team play, below the line in year one, like just barely on the line in year two, just barely on the line in year three. So maybe he tests well, maybe he gets drafted higher, but that's really kind of the crux of what he looks like. Now, 5'8", 200 pounds is just fine. Like that's not undersized or anything. But it's tough to kind of see what his role looks like in the NFL as like a featured back all three downs, but some there's some guys out there that really, really like Blake Corum. So I'm open to the idea of him being good. He is a senior on this list. I would just, again, I would put him in this bucket of like four running backs. Now the last running back, or no, two more running backs in here. We have Braylon Allen. Braylon Allen. I don't know why I said that's so weird. He's another one that's tough to gauge. So he really pops in yards per team play. He's a really good producer, right? He is up there right next to Bijan in year one. In year two, he's above Donovan Edwards and all of those behind just Raheem Sanders but he doesn't catch passes. That's really the issue. He His points per game in the receiving game, one points per game in year one, two points per game in year two, not great. I believe he has like just like under 25 catches in his first two years. Doesn't look at an all-purpose back, but there is reason to buy in here. He's super young. He won't turn 21 until January of his rookie year in the NFL, assuming he declares when he can. 
He has two straight 1,000-plus rushing yard seasons at Wisconsin, both 10-plus touchdown seasons. He's huge. He's listed at like 6'2", 240 pounds. So he kind of reminds me in a way of like A.J. Dillon. You can throw the Derrick Henry comp, but I think that's like setting too high of a bar. But I think A.J. Dillon's like a decent comp where kind of the entire offense, big bowling ball, not a ton in the receiving game, but you know, you never know with these guys. Maybe that develops, but again, you could also just be a hyper-efficient monster bowling ball and kind of be like somewhere between like Jonathan Taylor and A.J. Dillon, which is, you know, something that I think we can all say we'd be interested in. Now, our last guy we'll talk about here is kind of like the anti-Bray Allen, and it's Will Shipley. Uh, his adjusted yards per team play stuff looks good, right? He's above the threshold in year one or above the dotted line in year one. Year two, he's like just below it or like right on it. Uh, he's somebody I like because he already has 50-plus career receptions. His receiving points per game in terms of uh, average isn't anything too crazy, but that 4.4 points per game in year two is the third highest among the rest of these guys, it's a little bit below Donovan Edwards, a little bit below Rocket Sanders, but he is a guy who can catch passes. Again, over 50-plus receptions already in his career at Clemson. The yards per attempt or the yards per team play doesn't look great in year two, but he also had like 1,100 rushing yards, 15 rushing touchdowns. He's not huge at 5'11", 205, but he is a white running back. Ever since he's been in the league, like he gets nothing but Christian McCaffrey comps. I don't think that obviously he's not going to be as good as McCaffrey. Or he's not likely to be as good as McCaffrey, but he has an all-purpose skill set. It's an interesting skill set. Someone who can be a three-down back in the NFL, which we care about. Now, after all of those running backs, we have the tight ends. And I truly do think if we're talking pillars of this class, again, we just went through the pillars. We have Caleb Williams, Crown Jewel. We have Drake May, Elite Konami Code QB. We have Marvin Harrison Jr., potentially legendary wide receiver. And then our fourth pillar to me, would be Brock Bowers. Now, we said this about Michael Mayer last year, and Michael Mayer is now like a fringy round one uh, pick, but that's kind of just what you get uh, when it comes to these you know tight ends. And I think the difference is that if Michael Mayer came out and tested like a Kyle Pitts or he tested like what I think Brock Bowers is going to test like, then I think that he would be like a top you know six, seven, eight pick in 2023 rookie draft classes. But this is Brock Bowers and yards per team pass attempts are the same stuff that we looked at with wide receiver next to some of the better tight end prospects we've had in the past 10 years. So Michael Mayer, Gronkowski, Eric Ebron, Fant, Kyle Pitts, TJ Hawkinson. And this is where he fares. Blows everyone out of the water in year one last year. Then this year, behind Gronk, right on par with Michael Mayer, ahead of guys like Kyle Pitts, Fant, Ebron, TJ Hawkinson. We'll see what he does in year three. Have to also remember he did this all while being next to NFL tight end Darnell Washington. These two years of production that he has next to NFL producers. So that is all really exciting. We'll see if he can take that next step in year three, which I think a lot of people are expecting him to do that. And then a massive part of a tight end's profile is their athleticism. We don't have athletic testing yet, but Campus DeCan does have a good little database of like athleticism from either, I don't know where they get the numbers, whether it's uh, from like high school testing or whatever. Of course, these are not gospel. They're just like a range of outcomes, but it is good to see the numbers that pop up on this list. Now, he is a little bit small at 6'4", 230, but I think that's in our favor. A guy at 6'4", 230 wouldn't be able to dominate the way that he's dominating without being fast, right? There's no way at 6'4", 230 pounds at tight end that you could do everything that he does. He has like 15 plus yards per reception, which I really like to look at, right? That's the Mike Gusecki kind of corollary. Gusecki, combine warrior, 11 yards per reception. Michael Mayer, also an 11 yard per reception guy. Brock Bowers being 6'4", 230, averaging 15 plus yards per reception. To me, 
tells me that he's athletic, at least on the field athletic. Now, some comps that stick out from his size and his high school records are these uber athletic, you know, move tight ends. So, or actually George Kittle is not a move tight end, but these guys that are uber athletic, like a little bit on the shorter end, right? You have Noah Fant, 6'4", like 240, George Kittle's in there. Uh, you have Jared Cook, Evan Ingram's a guy in there. Uh, Kyle Pitts, probably a little bit too uh, far out for me. But again, 6'4", 230, he should put on size at the NFL level. He's probably going to come out more like 6'4", 6'5", like probably like 240, uh, which is exciting, right? That gives you that like archetype of tight end that's going to score points in fantasy. So I think a lot of people are going to say, why would I care about Brock Bowers? Michael Mayer was talked up as this really good prospect. He came in this year and he's like a fringe first round pick in rookie drafts. Here's why. The athleticism. If Michael Mayer put on a combine show similar of what Noah Fant did or George Kittle did or Evan Ingram did, he would be going much higher in rookie drafts. So that's what I'll say to that. Now we have the rest, right? When we talk about like the rest when it comes to tight ends, I'm not, I didn't even put it on a chart for you guys. So it's not even really worth it. Most of these tight ends haven't really produced yet. They're just kind of names. They've had a little bit of a flash in the pan. It's just going to come down to their pretty much when it comes to tight ends, it's going to come down to their final year production and how they tested the combine. But some names that I'll have stashed in the back of my head, Jatavion Sanders out of Texas, Jaheim Bell out of Florida State who transferred from South Carolina, Bryson Nesbitt at UNC, and Michael Trigg at Ole Miss. Now, Jatavion Sanders somehow produced last year in a room with like Bijan, Roshan Johnson, Xavier Worthy. He's this athletic move tight end. Uh, I've seen him comped on campus to can to like a David Njoku type of being like an explosive 6'4", 240-ish pound guy. That's exciting. I really like Jaheim Bell. Uh, really good first two years at South Carolina, third year this year with Spencer Rattler, not good at all. So now he's transferring for his fourth year at Florida State, which should be fun. Jordan Travis is there at quarterback. That should look good. They used him really weird this year, South Carolina. Now, something that I love about Jaheim Bell is that he's dynamic. He has like a 13 plus yards per reception, which means that he is explosive. And then he's also been a guy who's gotten like rush attempts in his career. So he's this tight end who's getting handoffs. The craziest part is, I think what probably led to the transfer is they used him. He had more rush attempts this year than he had catches. He had 73 rush attempts, Jaheim Bell, in the SEC for South Carolina. Now, that's probably not where he wants to make his bread and butter, right? He wants to go to the NFL to be a tight end. But I do think it's notable that like a tight end, 70-plus carries in the SEC is pretty insane for a tight end. So he's very dynamic. We'll see what happens at Florida State. He's a guy I really like. And then the last two guys I have here, Bryson Nesbitt and Michael Trigg, these are Debbie guys I'm not all too familiar with. I've heard of them. Uh, their tight ends probably both were decent recruits. You'll have Nesbitt catching passes from Drake May. You'll have Michael Trigg at uh, Ole Miss kind of doing his thing with, I don't know who they have at quarterback at this point, uh, but I know that it's going to be good offense with like Quid, Quinshawn Judkins, and I think they have uh, Lane Kiffin at uh, head coach. So interesting spot, some tight ends to keep tags on. Now, when we zoom back out and we talk about this class, what are our overall thoughts on this class. And I know a lot of people are going to be hesitant. They're going to say, you know, every year we do this. Every year we look a year out and we say this class is going to be amazing. And I think that that's true. It is true. The grass is always greener in this space. But man, this class is as good as it's going to get, man. I, I think any class that is anchored by a 101 being like a generational quarterback prospect this far out, right? So you're like Trevor Lawrence's, you're Andrew Lux, you're, uh, I'm trying to think of other guys that kind of fit that build. Uh, it's going to be a strong class. When your 101 can be a Caleb Williams type guy, that's all anchored in there because 
this class was supposed to be strong. It is strong, but Bijan was the anchor. And because running back isn't valued super highly, the 101 is like a one-two turn pick in startups. The 101 in 2024, if Caleb Williams just keeps on this track, could be valued as like the 106, 107 in startups, which is really, really interesting, right? Like I, I was in leagues where Trevor Lawrence would go like 107 in startups his uh, going into his rookie year. Caleb Williams is in that level. So we're talking about a 101 that could be valued as a first round startup pick this far out. And then you have really strong other pi uh, pillars of this like early draft class of or early first round of this rookie draft class where you would have a uh, potentially legendary wide receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr., elite Konami code QB and Drake May, and a tight end with as pretty much as much hype as I've seen since like Kyle Pitts in Brock Bowers. And I think we'll, we'll see some other elite guys in the mix too. I think we'll see a few other, uh, you know, your Rocket Sanders, your Travion Hendersons, your Amika Egbuka. So all in all, from where I'm sitting, this is a very strong class. Now, I don't want to just say that. So I decided to look through each and every single one of my classes and I came up with an elite plus score, which takes every draft class in my database. I tracked like how many elites and how many legendaries. I, I counted legendary as 2.5, elite one, and just added them together. It's just, you know, how many high-end prospects are in each draft class. And when we look at 2024, it's pretty good, right? It's not at the tippy-tippy top, right? You have 2021 at the top, which is going to be, you know, your Trevor Lawrence. It's going to be your uh, Jamar Chase, right? Trevor Lawrence and Jamar Chase as your cornerstones, as your pillars of that draft class are insane. But 2024 is tied for fifth with like 2015. It's tied. It's like right there with 2023. It's actually ahead of 2023. Again, we're being conservative here. Uh, if you want to take away, if you want to say right now, I have Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, as legendaries. But if you want to take one of those away, uh, that would be what minus 1.5. So that'd get us down to like 7.5, which is still like in the in the upper echelon, right? It's still in like the average. Again, we're so far out. We're going to have late rise. We're going to have guys who fall, but at least early on, it's showing signs of being really strong at your high end. So in my eyes, I just traded for 24 first. We're going to talk tomorrow about scenarios of like how I'd be trying to trade for 24 first, where, I, where I'd want to move from where to net a 24 first. But I think if you are a rebuilding team right now who is looking to win in 2024, your best bet is buying future 24 first. Load up on 24 first, do it all over again like we did it with 2023 and the rebuilders from back then. Push it all out to 2024 make some picks, go all in, compete in 2024 if you're a rebuilder. Now, again, we'll talk tomorrow about maneuvering the board, all of that good stuff. And as always, if you are a sicko out there, if, you are a, if you're a real pervert, man, and you want to see the RS grades of 18 and 19-year-old kids, then come on down to patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. That's where they all are. I have all of the RS grades posted up in there. 2024, running backs, tight ends, quarterbacks, wide receivers. 2025, the same thing. I'm going to be using them myself in this Debbie draft I have. I think me, the Stock Exchange Boys, Dynasty underscore IM, aka Ian will be in there. Uh, I don't think of who else is in there. But should be. it's going to be like my first like Debbie draft. I've done a campus to Canton with a co-host, but this will be my first Debbie. So figured it was kind of the perfect timing to talk about the 2024 draft class. Again, as always. If you want those future RS grades, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. If not, I appreciate every subscribe, every like. So make sure you do so. And as always, also give, give me a comment down below of a sleeper I didn't talk about or a sleeper in like the rest column that you really like, because I'm, I'm always curious on those guys that like didn't just make the cut. I'm trying to think of some myself, but I don't have any. Uh, I think like Marshawn Lloyd is one that people like out of South Carolina, like guys like that. Uh, and I also like DJ Uangalele. I didn't mention him, but I do like him. Uh, if you can turn around to Oregon State. Look at me. 
I'm almost becoming a Debbie Sicko myself, man. I hate to say it. Um, but as always, I will see y'all in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Channel, on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag up on. Rapper song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner's dreamer. Hell back asses, Loki's still a dinner. And I still shake a bow squat.